Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that'll help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Episode 55. We are chatting with my buddy Jason. Jason's a longtime friend, and we were met as coworkers teaching together. We've done a lot of different things together, but finally got to go on a hunt together. Uh, we've been able to take kids in the outdoors and do some different things with our outdoor club at our high school. Uh, been working on a lot of things together in our workplace, but finally got together and, and had done a few 3D shoots and that, but finally this year we got out and do a little hunting together, uh, and that, which has been awesome, and I can't believe we didn't do that a little bit more, and I look forward to many, many years of hunting with him. He's a great guy. Uh, one thing he won't tell you in this interview is that he won the Train to Hunt Regional uh, in Colorado, which is a very difficult one to win a few years back and just about won the nationals. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that it was darn close. He had a pack issue, uh, was before he got his, uh, XO mountain gear pack, had a pack issue with an older pack. Uh, and I bet he would have won it, but sorry, Jason, (laughs) I hope that doesn't bring up some bad memories, but, uh, awesome, awesome guy, a man of God and a man that, uh, works harder than anyone else I know to prepare himself to be a better hunter and someone you want when you're going to pack out an animal and someday he and I'll do that. But we wanted to chat about that. Uh, and that is packing out animals, tough hunts, and, uh, just getting prepared for something that, uh, you may not expect. So, before we do that, I want to shout out to Big Agnes, Branded Bills, Onyx, and Wilderness Athlete. You got discount codes for most of those uh, down below. If you need an Onyx membership and you don't have one, get a hold of me and I'll see if I can't get you one. Not everyone's going to get one, but I'll see if I can't get someone out there a membership to help you out. I know our seasons are running out, and by the time this is episode's rolling, we're into ep- uh, season third season here in Colorado, but there's plenty of other seasons going on throughout the year. 
So again, thank you all listeners for your support. We love getting messages, emails, things. So, so continue reaching out. And again, a big thanks to Drea for her stepping in and, and being a part of this team. we got some wonderful things coming and uh, big plans to continue to bring more and better content and continuing to get better at what we're doing for no pay and just for the fun of it, just to share and tell our stories. So again, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Jason. All right, Jason. Finally, in person, we've been talking about this for two years. Yes, we have. Doing a podcast and had different motives from the beginning, but then uh, COVID just kind of gave me the opportunity to jump on it and go for it. And so uh, um, Jason is a good buddy, colleague, and hunting buddy now, finally, finally. <laughs> absolutely finally and so we uh we've been uh kind of working together and and friends for about seven years or so and so we uh talked about kind of just some different podcast episodes ideas and things and so you just got done with a new mexico hunt that probably wasn't super easy pack out no, it wasn't real easy, but yeah, yeah I was ready. So yeah, exactly. We got it done quick. So that's kind of the topic I want to talk about today is just packouts. As a whole bunch of fat old guys hit the fat old guys hit the woods this weekend, <laughs> second <laughs> season, who are not ready for that. Uh, strolling through Walmart parking lot today, forty plus vehicles, rigs, hunting oh rigs, my gosh. ready to roll from flat land for sure. A lot of East Coast guys, Texas guys, obviously. So I just want to talk about uh, some of the things around packing out. Uh, But first, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What's your favorite favorite species to hunt? Let's go with that. Uh, Jason Arthur. um, I'm a teacher. My wife and I own a farm, um, and I hunt a lot. Clint and I work together for quite a few years now, and we've done a lot of outdoor education together, um, from, you know, winter survival, camping trips, fishing trips and stuff. So, um, we share a a common passion in the outdoors. Um, but I, it's really hard for me to pick. I am very partial to hunting moose, um, partly because I lived in Alaska and I was very successful at it. A hundred percent on moose. Um, three bulls and a cow and including a 62 inch BNC moose, uh, there a few years ago. Um, but I do love to mount, I just love to mountain hunt, um, sheep or goat. Um, so you'll catch me even when I'm trying to hunt deer or elk, I'll just go up in the mountains to the top of a mountain <laughs> and I question my sanity there sometimes cause I haven't been real successful with elk. Um, so I actually broke that mold this year and ended up getting an elk, but I do love mountain hunting in general. So it would have been more fun if we had shot in two. <laughs> Very much so, yes. You had shot in two because yeah. that yeah, that but. was in the works and we could have done it. Could yeah. have done it, but not quite. So we we just went on a, uh archery hunt and shared some things there in a previous podcast. But uh, we uh, we just went back for five days and we just missed the window. 
we had the most terrible window I've almost ever hunted elk in, <laughs> really, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. It was just awful. Yeah. Full moon, 80 degrees in the mountains, and Random. then it snowed 14 inches. Random 14 yeah, inches. So. That doesn't help. And we were, I had gotten there a couple of days before, got into the elk, but so did the other guys that were there. So add the pressure onto that. Yeah. That just that just made it tough. So, uh, however, we got to hunt together, and we've been talking about hunting together for a while. So that was a, a check off the checklist uh, to be able to hunt together finally, and 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 be able to push through some some stupid things because not many guys are are like you and I that we want to just push through a stupid hike. <laughs> just, yeah, and I'm trying to learn not to do that as much now, <laughs> to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah, the, I. A buddy in Alaska and I used to call those death marches. Right. Where you just hike until you can hike no more. Um, maybe not the most intelligent thing to do. And it actually has cost us animals, I think, because we've pushed some animals we should have just stopped. Right. You know, like hiking through the fog at the top of a mountain. Oh, hey, look, there's an, uh, there's a doll sheep. Whoops. There they go. Yeah. You know, and we should have just stopped. So uh-huh. I do question that, but, but yeah. it, was, it was nice. It was a challenging to, hunt. It was nice to say there's elk over there. Let's yep. go after them. And there's Very not, much so. the, the physical aspect was not holding us back. No, we not were at all. just going for we'd it. We just go. And we'd have to go down 500 feet, up 500 feet, and we'd have to do it fast. Yeah. So, so that was great. We were both unsuccessful in, in harvesting, but another day. Yes. We'll get back in there another day and, and chase them for sure. I'm pretty excited about that. But you just got back from a uh, New Mexico hunt, one that was a uh, pretty coveted tag. I think one one of the one percenter kind of opportunities, yeah. correct? And yeah, it's uh, I think non-resident unguided gets six percent of the tags in New Mexico, and so there were eight hundred applicants for this tag of non-residents, and there were nine of us that got it. So it was a one point something percent odds, random draw. Oh wow! Yeah. Yep. So you it drew was that a pretty good deal. You drew that. Yep. You, you went down. And scouted that out. What were your first impressions this summer? Or yeah, in this summer, I went down in early August. Um, of course, I hit. There's, it's a very, it's a varied unit. You've got some tall mountain wilderness areas that go up twelve thousand feet, all the way down to the seven thousand foot pinion juniper. Uh, very similar to something you could do in Colorado. Um, of course, I I just went to the mountains because that's what I do, um, and I saw. I think I looked over 20 to 25 bulls in just two days. And I saw several hundred elk. Um, Ten of those bulls were probably shooters, like 310 to 320 bulls. First off, I've always, I was just having this conversation with my wife yesterday that there's an added pressure with those hunts. And I've never been on that kind of hunt. Yeah, but it's self you put it on yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But it is added pressure. The cost of the tags a lot higher cause you're out of state, you know, six, $700 for the tag and you're driving 12 hours each way. So you got a lot of miles in there. You do go down and scout those, you know, it was between the driving and the scouting. We were there for three or four days. Um, so you, you do have a lot more time into it and it is a tag you want to get a really nice animal with cause they are there. So you do put a lot more pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But you were saying the the uh, terrain, a little more rugged, a little more steep. Yeah, the mountains in the wilderness area, there was a burn there about 
eight years ago, I think. And the burn cleared it out, but it was rough. Logs, down logs and trees everywhere, but it was steep, rocky. Hmm. And there were elk. Like I was shocked to see elk in this terrain because it was like mountain goat terrain. Not quite mountain goat <laughs> terrain, of course, but yeah, yeah it was steep, nasty, 2,000-foot-deep um, canyons. Huh. You know, if you shoot one in the bottom, fortunately there are trails in the bottom of every canyon. That's why I was okay with hunting there. Oh, sure. Where I could just hike out, hitch a ride back to my truck or something. But pulling a bull out of the bottom of one of those hiking uphill would have been near impossible solo, to be oh. honest. <laughs> yeah. If those, if those trails weren't there in the bottom, would you I would hunt midway up. Yeah, I would have hunted mid mountain up, but wow. And if I had a buddy, like if you were with me, Clint, I probably would hunt the valley bottoms. But most of the bulls I saw were mid mountain up too. They were a thousand feet off the floor, but we did see a couple in the bottom. Hmm. Tough to couple really nice bulls at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) So go through the process of seeing an animal and thinking about: Can I retrieve that? Can I not? What's the what's the mental process that you're going through to um, decide? <laughs> Previous to the last few years, now I've matured a little bit in my mental state. I would have just gone and shot it and figured it out later. Not ethical, because you can you can waste meat that way. But um, you look at how steep it is. Is number one? Is there a trail? If there's a trail out of one of those valleys, I'll haul an elk out of there. Right. Right. Yeah. Because trails are really nice to walk on. They usually switch back. They're not as steep. You can, you won't lose your footing as much. Balance is not an issue as much. Um, but yeah, looking at how steep is it? Um, what, how much are the, how heavy are the loads going to be? You know, an elk, a bull elk, a mature bull elk, you'll probably have four loads of a hundred pounds plus towing that up a thousand, 2000 feet's a lot. Um, you have to look at your own personal conditioning. You have to look at your own personal mental state. How much pain can you handle? Um, and then the other thing I'd look at is, are there animals that are in other places that are more accessible? That's a good point. Right? <laughs> like, cause you know, I went down there two days early for the hunt, drove all night. I got there at four thirty in the morning and I scouted those mountains for a day and a half and I didn't see I think I saw one bull that I saw this summer. The rest of them were 280, 290. I think I saw one 300-inch bull, uh, three bulls that were broken above their third on one side or the other. Um, And I started thinking, man, these they're just not here. And I started to evaluate because it's a really rough country. Maybe I should just go check somewhere else. So I went into town Friday about noon, grabbed lunch, Go out in the desert, see some tracks. Okay, don't like it here that much. Too close to town. Went out east of town, found a forest road, about seven thousand feet. And I'm just—I drove about halfway out this road till the county maintenance ended. Got real rough. I'm like, oh, I'll just turn around. I'm good. Turn around about half a mile later. I stop, roll down my window, and a bull elk bugles about three hundred yards from my truck. I'm you like, know, well, that's fortuitous, right? You know, if it was my truck, we wouldn't have heard it. <laughs> no, but I had to roll the window down, you know, because uh, right. I, you know, I drive a small Tacoma. But 
Um, I was like, well, there's a little valley draw there. You know, it wasn't very big. I think I'll just take a hike because yeah. this is much easier country to hunt. And I walked about a half a mile to the saddle and I looked down on the other side of this hill, about 500, 600 feet down, there's a meadow and there's about 50 elk out there with the three biggest bulls I saw all week. That's awesome. Right? So I, I, I think I made the wise choice in getting out of those mountains because I could have got myself in a real bad pickle um, and looking somewhere else and it ended up getting me, I think, a better bull than I would have gotten in the mountains anyways. You know, that, that makes me think of every rifle hunter asking, are they high? Are they low? Where are they at? Elk are where they want to be. They're where they are. Yeah. And this year, the key this year was there's water, there's the elk, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was super So when I poked there. my head over that saddle, um, it was immediately clear there was a water tank down there for cattle that was full of water. And I was hunting right on the line of the reservation, so the elk would go on the reservation during the day. They'd come water in the mornings or evenings in that tank because I could take my binoculars and my spotting scope and you'd look for the telltale signs of a spring, you know, cottonwoods or deciduous trees or very green growth. And there was nothing in, in eyesight. And I have 18 power binoculars. So I knew that tank was a pretty good spot. Hmm. Yeah. So what happened? Uh, well, I made a plan because that was Friday night. And I was an hour and something from my camp. So I went back to camp. I gathered it up, came back, and I camped in that valley. Accidentally bumped those elk that were, because they were in the same exact spot as when I'd heard them before. The ones right by the road, bumped yeah. them on accident. It's like, ah, it's one of those stupid things, you know. Uh -huh. um, bumped them setting up camp. But I, my plan was to get down to that water tank about the time I could see to catch those elk filtering through or drinking from that tank. Um, wouldn't you know that I'm a, I'm a diehard spot and stock hunter. So I got about halfway down the hill in the dark and I stopped and like, I just got to see, I, I can't do this. I got to see. Um, and what I saw was the biggest bull crossing onto the public and not stopping. And so I had to try to make chase, uh, Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. He had about 20 cows with him. So I got down there and they had passed by the tank and they had about 800 yards of public in that meadow and there was sparse spin pinion junipers and brush. And I just kind of tried to get down there on them. I had them at 575, but the wind is blowing like crazy, you know, and I, I didn't feel comfortable with that shot. So I just kept trying to get around and get around. And this is about a maybe 120 acre meadow. I'm skimming the edge, and I get him at 525. Still not comfortable there with the wind. And I finally get around him, and I have him at 425, and I get set up, and the wind is just howling, and he's right by the fence of the reservation, gathering his cows up. And I'm like, and he's moving a little bit. And 
I didn't pull the trigger and he jumped the fence because I didn't want to get into the situation where he shoot him because I was shooting a 308, not a real powerful gun, um, where I'd shoot him and he'd cross the fence. But I imagine yeah. no matter what the shot, that close, he's already headed that way. He would have ran yeah. right and just jumped the fence. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was, so I do I regret a that a little bit? A little bit because I didn't get the big bowl of it, you know, the biggest one, but it was the ethical choice, right? Yeah. Um, went back to camp, ate lunch. We came back, and I sat that tank from 1 o'clock until dark. Nothing came through. Remind you the night before I saw, like, 50 elk on that tank. The, it's, like, crazy, but um, – you know, went to bed. Of course, couldn't sleep either night. Like, psyched out. The elk are there. We gotta find them. Pretty much. Um, but the next morning, I did. I did get down to within 300 yards of that tank at in the dark. Um, at the first light I could see, I saw two cows run from the tank. Like, oh no, I bumped them. And I'm just looking and looking, and I look where those cows are running at 670 yards. There's that same bull crossing the fence. Like I can barely see him, but I can see his, his whale tails and his force and his, like, that's the guy crossing the fence. Dang it. So I actually, and I thought I saw him cross back onto public. So I actually backed out and started to head around, but I just happened to say, maybe another elk might show up at that tank. I better take a look. So I look back and there was a cow with her head in the tank and I put my binoculars up and I saw a bull that I thought was around 300 inches, maybe 310 walking up to the tank i just couldn't see his back ends but his lowers were massive he's a lot of mass and his, i ended up shooting him um, he stopped at the tank was facing me i ended up shooting him at 443 yards right in the chest um, that bullet deflected up through his chest out of his spine so he was hurting he didn't run he just kind of walked about 30 or 40 yards and i got another one in him broadside at 400 um, and he died within 50 yards of the tank. That's awesome. Yeah. He was um, a good bull. He's Yeah, he scored 304. Yeah. Um, so his bottom ends, you know, he had 14 and 16-inch firsts and seconds. His thirds were 18 inches long, and then he just died. <laughs> like he carried his mass through his, his fourths, but they were only 13 inches. Yeah. And then the fifth and the sixth were like three inches long. What do you, you know, like, <laughs> what does Keith look like? Do you, do you, were they pretty worn? Do you seem no, like he was bone? a, he was a bull in his prime. Oh. I think if it wasn't such a dry summer, um, with the lack of feed they had, cause the feed was absolutely terrible. Sure. Um, obviously they had water, but the feed situation, I think he would have been a 320, 330 bull if he had proper feed, maybe bigger. Huh? Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, but he's a great – he's my first bull I can't complain, oh, dude. No, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I've hunted nine yeah. years for elk, and I finally got a bull elk on the ground. Yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed about. He's not broken off. No, he's pretty. I mean, if you see the pictures and you've seen the pictures, yeah. he's he's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, great bull. So, What's the plan with him? Uh, he's at the taxidermist. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said you had, don't have much room. <laughs> I and so Mount we built this 800 square foot house with eight foot ceilings. It was a mistake, but we'll build on eventually. But yes, my mooses are all in the garage. My wife shot a mountain goat, so that's getting mounted. Got to put that somewhere. I just hung a six and a half foot squared, 20 inch gold bear rug in the stairwell. <laughs> like I'm running out of room, man. Yep. The bulls 
I don't know where I'm going to put him. Let's be honest, but I couldn't resist mounting this guy because he's no. just too pretty, and it's a special trip. Yeah, it's a special tag, um, and you want to preserve the memory of that animal in that trip. Yeah, absolutely. You always mount first. Wonder where you're going to put it later. Pretty much, <laughs> uh, or pay for it. <laughs> um, but they are not cheap. No, uh, but we um, we we were starting this conversation around some nasty pack outs. What was the pack yeah. out like? Uh, so I was 550 feet down from the saddle, and it was three quarters of a mile by so, yourself, though. Yeah, I was solo. Um, so I got him down. I had him cut up. It, it was before sunrise, so I did my sunrise pictures and you know, I, I took pictures for at least a half an hour um, just to get the right ones. I think I had them cut up within, see that'd be about 7.30 I started cutting him up, two to two and a half hours. He was completely cut up, bagged. Um, and you weighed those quarters, you said, right? You know, I usually cut my own meat up, but I ended up taking him to the processor. The fronts and the rears together were 213. And that's with at, cut off at the knees. They were bone in, but cut off at the knees. Right. Um, so my first load was a front and the tenderloins, back straps, briskets, and rib meat. Uh, probably eighty to one hundred pounds, I would guess. Uh, got it out, and I was carrying my gun, carrying my sp- uh, you know my binoculars and all my gear that I had with me. Um, so. And I weighed out those uh, on my bull this year, just the past the knee down to the hoof, four pounds. Okay. 16 pounds right there. Yeah. You can cut out. Yeah. Which pretty is, darn quick. I knew it would make a difference, so that's why yeah. I did it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you can do it with it on, but they catch trees. It's right. 16 more pounds over the course of three miles of uphill climbing. It, it's a lot more work. Yeah. It takes yeah. one minute to cut them off. Exactly. So, so. That's worth it. Um, but I went up, actually got up to the saddle. I dropped my pack and I had to hike a half a mile down to my camp, packed up camp, ate lunch, drove the truck to the saddle cause there was a road. Um, and then three more loads, you know, the second load and I could buzz. There was actually a cattle trail up the hill. It made it easier, but it was super rocky. The footing was pretty terrible, uh, but I could make it down pretty quick. But my second load was, uh, rear and the neck meat and a little bit of scrap. So he was probably 80 or hundred pounds. Um, the third load was the heavy one. I did a front and a rear. It was one, I'd estimated at 115 because you got 106 and a half, you know, at the way, way station for the front and the rear. And then my packs like nine pounds with water or 10 pounds, whatever. Yeah. My bull, what a young bull yeah baby <laughs> compared to the age of yours it probably had four or five years difference between the two but my hind quarters were 50 pounds front quarters were 30 so that's a big difference yeah so hundreds are gonna be yeah and obviously yeah. that older bull is gonna be much bigger yep most people aren't gonna be doing that no and i i, I was gonna do five loads when i started and i was like i think i can do this in four Cause I got the first load out and I was like, Oh, that's, that's not a big deal. So, um, and then the Cape, the Cape and the antlers and I, I didn't cut the head out or anything. I took it skull full cause I let the taxidermist do all that hard work Yeah, and he does it for free for me. Um, so I, it was probably 80 pounds. Jeez. 
Uh, that was the biggest. My taxidermist is like, this is the biggest cape I've ever had in this shop. He's a big, big it bull. Was, and I cut. I give him extra. You know, I, I cut three or four or five inches extra on those capes, but huh. it was big. <laughs> like I picked it up. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then you know when antlers get get on your pack and they kind of pull you backwards a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, I figured I was total of four trips. It was uh, three miles uphill, and then you're looking at 400 plus pounds yeah. estimate with S- everything, cat pack and whatever. Speaking of antlers on the back, this is something that's been bothering me lately. I see pictures of guys that are putting those antlers upright. Yeah, I don't like to do that. The no. physics of that just doesn't make any sense to me. If you yeah. have any twist on that, you've got more torque pushing on things. It just doesn't seem like. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a couple things of that. Number one, it's a safety issue. Exactly. Because somebody could shoot you. Exactly. Right? So if you're going to do that, put orange tape all over the horns or the antlers. Uh, the second thing is when you put them up, they're going to catch every tree and every limb that yeah. you walk by. Yeah. So I put mine down because they tend to kick the bushes instead of catch on them. Right. Right. When they're down and, and then the, the center of gravity is lower. It's easier to haul. Exactly. Um, and it's easier to secure on your pack too and get, it's easier to put on because you can actually pick your pack up and prop it up on the antlers and just kind of stand into the pack. Oh yeah. You know, it's easier to put the pack on too. Yeah. Um, and so for those folks that are listening that are East coast hauled only dr- or drug, drug, only <laughs> whitetail, or actually maybe brought the tractor out to lift yeah. it, <laughs> to lift it and put it in the barn and skin it that way. Um, your whole animal's probably only 200 pounds on a massive whitetail yeah. on a big bodied whitetail. Yeah. So 150 pounds alone, just one trip or, or just under um, that's a lot of weight. And so I, I hope people realize when they come out here that that's, that's not, you better plan on a trip a quarter at least or so. Yeah. And a lot of people, and you know, um, we get ready for this. Like my whole training regimen is centered around hauling heavy packs. Yeah. Like that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. So, and you, I train in the mountains year round. So, um, it is a bigger job than most people know, um, the, the first time they do it. Right. So yeah. the physical preparation of this whole nother conversation, uh, which just let's have that there and realize that that's there, yeah. that there is lots and lots of physical preparation to be able to do these sorts of things. But let's talk about a, a nasty pack out that you had, most likely a moose because yeah, I've had a few. They're freaking huge. <laughs> they're so. unbelievably large. Um, we took one moose to the processor, boned out, 450 pounds of meat. And it didn't Meat. Come... No bones. No, no antlers. No cape. <laughs> meat. <laughs> it was, uh, and that wasn't my biggest bull. That was my second biggest bull. Jeez. Yeah, so that was a 47-inch bull that was past his prime. His antlers were kind of ugly. His bottom ends are really nice. He's got some nice kickers on the bottom there of his brow palms, but um, yeah, that was a big animal. Um, I don't even want to guess what the biggest bull. I shot that 62-inch Boone and Crockett bull. was a nasty haul out, Um, partly because we shot two (laughs) at the same time. So we're sitting there in the rain, and we'd seen these bulls because you, you, what you do out there is it was a fly out hunt. 
I have a friend that has a plane, thank, thankfully. Um, we fly around in the Super Cub in the evening, look for the plywood in the, in the woods, right? See the antlers, land on the closest lake. The next morning you hike in on it because you have to wait until three in the morning in Alaska to hunt them or something. It's, you have to wait overnight basically right. after you fly. Um, climb this mountain. You know, it alone's like a 800-foot climb just to get up to glass. And it was that morning, it was our fourth day, so we had climbed this mountain like five times already in the course of a few days, and we just started raining. And so we put the tarp up, and we just started glassing for for moose, knowing that in the rain, moose actually like to come out, and they like to be around in the cold. And my buddy kept seeing this paddle. I'm like, it wasn't a paddle. Come on, it's just a leaf. He's like, no, it was a paddle. And he'd see a paddle. I'm like, it's just a leaf. It's just a flash of leaf, you know, and, <laughs> Um, soon enough, you know, I, I step out of the tarp and I'm just, I'm actually going to the bathroom and I look down and this bull walks out of the woods at five or 600 yards and he's down on the bottom and we're at the top of this hill and big bulls. So we go smoking down this mountain, like running down the hill and we get at 300 yards and he's big. Um, so I, and you know, the scope's fogging up, it's raining. I can't get a good rest cause I'm on this steep hillside and I'm on my knee at 300 yards, you know, and first shot, nothing, you know, you didn't hear a report. Ended yeah. up, I hit him in the antler, just chipped his antler. Um, but the second and third shots I connected pretty good. Um, he went in the woods, didn't see him die, but we were calling to try to get him to stop. Cause it was like a 10 minute process to get this bull in a good spot where I could shoot him. Cause he kept going behind trees and then he'd bed down and he'd stand up and we were calling. And as soon as my bull went in the trees, this other bull that we had been hunting comes trucking out of another grove of trees at 400 yards and turns broadside. What are you going to do? <laughs> Not shoot it. And it's bigger <laughs> than mine. And I go shoot him. My buddy puts two, uh, two in him at 400 yards moves about 50 yards and drops and we're like we got two big bulls on the ground <laughs> you know it, it looks like they're in knee-deep grass yeah. down in the brush so we go down there and of course it's six feet tall the brush is and found his first because it was in the open then we found mine and it was shoot I don't know two in the afternoon maybe but you know you have until midnight 11 o'clock at night to fly in those mountains that time of year up in Alaska and so we got to work cutting them up his cutting his up I was cutting mine up and you know I got the rear off of mine got a bag on it and I stood it on end and the hoof I'm six foot three and the hoof of that animal was about six foot six inches holy crap <laughs> I had to look up at it <laughs> right so imagine so, so we're estimating these hindquarters weigh about 150 pounds a piece. Don't, don't you have to take them out on the bone? And that is an area, most areas in Alaska, you have to take out the moose bone in, like rib meat bone in too. It's not just like quarters, it's rib meat and everything. So we get the top halves cut off. It's starting to get to 6, 7 p.m. And our pilots actually saw us. So they brought both super cubs to the lake and they met us. We got four loads out that night, went back to main camp, slept, ate a lot of food, <laughs> came back in the morning. Uh, that morning, we cut, cut them the rest of the way up. Of course, we were watching for grizzly bears because we had seen a mom with triplets. Um, that load was the worst load of my life. It was a rear 
and it was like a tenderloin or something like that, we just put a little extra in there. And I swear it was 175 pounds and it was a two mile hike. So we went two miles and about a mile of it was swamp. And it, and I mind you, it still hasn't stopped raining. So the swamp's getting deeper. <laughs> and then we have to summit a ridge that's a couple hundred feet tall. And once you get up on the side of the ridge, it's tundra. So you either get to walk on sponges or you get to high knee over the sponges. And it's like that all the way to the lake. Um, I don't usually sit down on haul outs. I sat down four or five times on that haul out, two miles. Yeah. It was brutal. Um, so what were, the, what were the things that got you through that? What are you telling yourself? What are you doing? Um, Forget the- it's, at that point, it is one step in front of another. You, just one step at a time. Like place your next foot in front of you and bring the next foot to the front of you. <laughs> When you're counting steps. And you're counting steps. Yeah. Goals. One, two, I, I want 10 steps. three, four. Yeah, somewhere 10 to 20, 50 steps, whatever you can get. Yeah. You know, my feet are soaking wet because it's swamp. You know, I'm starting to get heat burn or rash in my inside of my legs because of the wet because I'm just soaked. My rain gear stopped working. <laughs> you know, Um so we went a little bit lighter. So we dropped at the lake, had lunch, went back in. Of course, all the rears are out by now. So we did the fronts. The next loads were a lot lighter. Um, but we did two loads each that day. Next, fly back to main camp, come back. The next morning, we did the last of the meet. And then we went in back in for the glory load, is what we call it, the cape. Or the, just the antlers. We just <laughs> yeah. did the antlers. We didn't cape them. But, you know, the antlers and a skull on a big bull moose are – 50, 60 pounds. So what, um, would, what would you think is would be a good strategy for pack out in order? Heavy first, hindquarters, then what, what do you, what is uh, your thought process? That would be my initial thought, heavy first. Um, but at the same time, you know, my, my body's changed now to where I've, um, like this elk I just hauled out in New Mexico, I actually did a lighter load first just to get my body warmed up because I, the way I train and and, and as I age, it takes me longer to warm up. But I notice as, as when I get warmed up, I can go. So I actually saved my heaviest two loads on the elk this year in New Mexico for the second and the third loads. Um, When I was younger, it would have been like, let's just get the heavy ones over with. Yeah. You know, and that's Um, where my brain still is. And my body can't do that. But you think about, I mean, (laughs) When does your body operate at its best? It's warmed up. Your muscles are limbered. I I take a little bit of a break after that first load. Let your muscles get fully oxygenated again. Um, You know, mountain hunting, mountain haul-outs are a muscular endurance and a cardio sport. It's not a strength sport. Right. So um, I'm I'm beginning to to change my philosophy on that. I Um, like that. I like that. I'm going to – I'll try that next animal, although all my tags are – now the next Drag it to know, the, the mule deer I shoot, I'll probably just try to do it one load because I don't <laughs> want to hike back in. But that was a on, a, on a multiple haul out, um, I, I, I'm kind of shifting my philosophy there. But yeah, so it was 16 loads, those two big bulls, uh, 16 loads total between. I did five, my buddy did five, and the pilots did three each, and not light. I mean, they were heavy, wow. heavy. 
How many miles total? Uh, well, two each way, so four per load, twenty. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it was a long two and a half days. But you know what? That's what. That's why those go on the wall afterwards, so that you can remember. Oh, I'll that. always remember it. Yeah, and we always have a good story to tell. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. Um, so, what were uh, in, in this hunt or other hunts? What are some of those things that you keep in mind with bull on the ground? Now, what are we going to do to make this this process maybe a little easier, or maybe we're going to make yeah. this process? Uh, yeah, let's start there. Um, my first thought when I get an animal on the ground is get the thing cut up as fast as you can. Because yep. you want to get that meat cooling off. Because if it's going to be a long haul out, it is key to get this, that meat cooled off fast. Um, not only is it going to taste better in the long run if it's um, cooled off more quickly, but uh, it it's it's going to help it last if you have a multiple-day haul out like we did with those moose. Um, and those right. masses of bodies, you know, those moose up in Alaska, their skin's an inch thick. It takes them a long time to get cooled off so you need to get oh, them yeah. cut up yeah you know that's so that's first and foremost um what was the rest of the question and then uh what's your process then when you do have okay. that thing down yep. to keep it clean uh get that bagged up or let it hang yeah. or what do you so do you do? um i cut if i'm not so i caped the bull elk in new mexico but i took the back end skin and i caped it too and i laid it on the ground because I don't carry mm -hmm. a tarp. A lot of people carry a tarp on those short hunts, um, but you cut that skin off whole, and I actually um, will put a rolled-up game bag. So I roll my game bags up, and I just set the rear quarter in it, and I unroll it up the quarter. And then I can just set the quarter on the skin um, so it doesn't get dirty. Right. Right. So you want to keep it cool, clean, and dry. Um, so you set it on the skin to keep it clean. Um, if there's a tree nearby or something, I can um, use one of my extra game bags as a tarp and I can go set it in the shade because it was 75 degrees down there in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, so... um just that, that's something that surprised me is, is how quickly those can feel cool to the touch already. Like they you do. Get it, you get it out yeah. and you can feel that heat coming off of it and let that thing sit in the shade. And what uh, it's kind of important to remember is not just what's shade right now. If you're coming back to it, 
Yeah, the sun turns fast this time of year. Comes around right. those trees. Yeah, trying to find that shade that's there all the time and yeah. and get that thing so it can develop kind of a crust on that outside. Mm-hmm. Get that protected. Yeah, and the first thing that and I like I said I usually cut my own animals up, but I took this one in. Um, the first thing they asked me was how long did it take for you to get the skin off of it? Because hmm. that is the number one indica- you know indicator of cooling it quickly. Because their skin and their hair is very insulative. I mean, they live outside in the winter. Yeah. You know, in some very harsh climates. So get the skin off quick and get them cut up quick. What uh, What's your game bag game? <laughs> I carry in the field. I carry tag bags. They're a they were one of the first synthetic game bags that were put out. Um, so uh, the, that's my first because they're really light. They pack down really tight. I don't have to worry about weight. Um, I get everything put in those synthetic bags. Um, once I get the animal out of the field to my house, I'll actually rebag it because I have a bunch of cotton bags. Um, so I'll actually change bags because I think that you get a little bit of bacterial growth on those bags. If you can switch them out to a clean bag, I think it actually helps preserve the meat a little bit better. Um, and, uh, the trip to New Mexico I had stored, I took a cooler with, I make my own one gallon milk jug ice blocks. So I had eight gallons of ice in my cooler, um, keeping it cold. So when I put the meat in there, it was as cool environment as possible. Um, and then I drove through the desert and it was 85, 90 degrees coming from through Albuquerque. Um, but at night I stayed in the mountains. So there's a strategy, stay in the mountain, prop the cooler open, get the meat out and hang it so that it, you know, has a chance to get some air circulation and cool it off. Um, but on those long trips, you really have to, um, be prepared to care for your meat, especially if you're going to be in a warm environment because it can turn fast. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, were prepared for a nasty pack out. It didn't happen. You and I. Archery, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were prepared for it. What was some of What were some of your pr- thought processes on how we were going to tackle that? If we had gone down up, down, down up, up, down up, five six hundred feet at a time. Yeah. What What, what were um, you thinking strategy wise on how we were going to do that? One, you know, one of the things, if I shoot an animal down in a hole, one of the things you can do to make it easier is to get, uh, haul your loads up to the top, go get another one, shuttle them, right. you know, shuttle it, shuttle it. Um, in my mind, it makes the haul out feel a little bit easier if you shuttle loads, cause then you're not hiking for two miles, hiking for two miles, hiking for two miles, yeah. you know, you're, you're busting the hunt up. Like you, you get the weight up the hill, you take it off your back, your legs have a little bit of a break. You go downhill, grab another load, haul it up, you know. Um, so that's one way to do it. Another thing that comes to mind you know. thinking about that is is uh, if we had gone straight out, that meat is in the pack for how many hours? Yeah. But if you're shuttling it, it gets it out. Tree, air chance it out, to air circulate. Just makes sense to me yeah. to, to get that. Um, I was I, I don't know which way we would have gone should we haul it up to camp because our camp was another what fifty hundred feet up the hill another quarter mile of walk and we could have left it near the trail but um, so that's something to consider to even take it to camp 
we had what three bears that we saw in the area at least yeah like Easy. do we want that near camp <laughs> <laughs> right we had yeah. some really tall aspens right a quarter mile from camp you just hang those up there maybe it helps protect them so you kind of got to think situationally but um yeah i do think breaking the pack up is a good thing and yeah, we've got a coupon code for Wilderness Athlete and oh, I'll plug them. Supermans. <laughs> <laughs> but we were joking about how we now hate them for making us. <laughs> you know, I've been using their products for three or four or five years now since I started doing Train to Hunt. And I love their products, but I won't go in the woods without them now. I know. You know, like, <laughs> what's the first thing I did when I got uh, that elk down I had? an energy and focus and a hydrate and recover with me, Mm -hmm. put a water bottle, drink it. Yep. Right. Just put a Superman in the system. Yep. Yeah. So, and then, you know, I got up to the truck, I went back for another load and the second load out, put another one in the system. It just, my wife, the first, my wife experienced the Superman for the first time on our goat hunt. Nice. She's like, Man, I feel like I could run up this hill. <laughs> so, yeah, their products are high quality. Um, and I actually tried their packout bites. Yeah. Um, you know, after every load, I'd just eat a packout bite instead of, like, eating lunch or something. Yeah. And and it it held me through four loads of hauling that elk out. And that I ate I ate breakfast at six five five in the morning, and I didn't eat lunch until two. Yeah. And those so the, between the supermans and the packout bites it was good that's a long time to go without yeah especially when you're working that hard yeah yeah you know say somebody's not using wilderness athlete or or whatever nutrition wise in that process of packing out what do you talk to us about maybe your water consumption or and just other snacks and things what are you focusing on um starting to shift my philosophy on that too a little bit i used to be very carbohydrate heavy um but you know, and reading some new material, talking to the guys at Wilderness Athlete, uh, there's a, and there's a book, uh, The New Alpinism, I think is what it's called, but it's a book that the, the guys that hike like Everest and stuff put out. And they've actually started to add a lot more fats in their diet um, because fats have about three times the energy of a carbohydrate. So they can sustain you for a lot longer. So when I'm eating my breakfast, yeah, it's oatmeal, but I put a whole milk powder in it that adds some fat and protein and I add pecans to it, which adds a ton of good fat and and energy. I put blueberries in it, you know, that's some good antioxidants and stuff like that so that my body has what it needs um, to sustain that activity level when I'm out. We discovered that created one problem on our elk hunt. You were burning too much fat and you were too hot. Oh, my gosh. When it was 80 <laughs> degrees, I was sweating like a pig. But, I mean, when it cooled off and I had that energy right, there, right. Um, and when it was 20 degrees, I was like, yeah, I think this is okay. Yeah. Right? But I make a trail mix that has a – it's very heavy on cashews, um, pecans, walnuts, and almonds. You know, and it ha- but it does have craisins and raisins and chocolate chips in it too. So you need that instant energy, but you got to have something to sustain you too. Yeah. So a, a good diet, um, you know, and you got to have your protein because that's going to help your muscles recover right. as well. So, so, um, so far we've kind of hit, I mean, there's a physical aspect to this. There's some meat care 
with this. There is uh, some dietary pieces to this. There's a mental aspect to yeah. your pack out and the just suck it up and do it <laughs> kind of attitude. That yeah, it's part of it. Um, some mental toughness. Mental toughness, but being mentally ready as well. Right. Like physically training hard for these prepares you mentally because you're ready. You have to be okay with being in pain. Yeah. Like my legs hurt. I can't stop. Yeah. Like I'm going to take a break for a minute, but I can't stop this haul out and just let it sit out in the 80 degree heat all day and wait till tomorrow. It's got to get done. You know, and your lungs are going to burn because it's a cardio workout and your legs are going to burn because it's a muscular endurance workout. You have to be okay with pain. And, and from my experience, the best way to be okay with pain is to engage in some suffering before the season starts. Yep. Put 60 pounds in your pack and go walk hills for an hour or two once a week. You know, that exo pack, exo mountain gear uh, workout that we did together this yeah. year. Um, I love Once that. a week, twice a week, we had heavy packs on our back, and we're doing an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half ruck. Um, that is now my workout. Yeah, I it's a great workout. Because I, I yeah. you know me, I don't I hate the hate the weight room. Yeah, you do, <laughs> and I, I can handle it because I played football in college. Yeah. But what I do this morning, I put 60 pounds in my pack, and I did a crap load of box stepovers. Yeah. Right? And that prepares you mentally because – it sucks. <laughs> like when you're doing it, you're like, I just want to quit. Yeah. But you don't. Um, and then the, uh, you know, mentally, you know, a lot of people are not okay with going slow. And if, if you learn to slow down, it's amazing how much longer your body can last over the course of an endurance activity like this. Like if you just try to pound it out uphill and you burn yourself out in the second load, you might've just ruined some meat. Right. So, you know, what I do, um, so my summer training emulates what I do in the field. When I do box step overs, it's 60 pounds in the pack, and I do 100 box step overs. And I count it, and I rest for a minute, and I do 100 box step overs, and I'll do like 10 sets of that. What did I do in the cell call out? That. I walked 100 steps up the hill, and I took a one-minute break. Right. Hmm. By the end of four loads, I was starting to feel it a little bit, but... It was just like my training. So I was fine mentally. I was fine physically. Um, so be okay with going slow. If you need to stop, do it. Right? You, like I said, you do not want to burn yourself out. Like that really heavy moose load that I had that year, I just had to stop or I was going to fall, literally physically fall over or collapse. Like my legs were going to give out. And then you're looking at a possible injury, I might be digging a moose quarter out of a dirty swamp. Yeah. I mean, like, huh. yeah. So be okay with pain. Be okay with going slow and stopping. Um, if you need to take a 30-minute break after a load, get some water, get some food, and you do it. Yeah. You know? And there, the weirdest kind of thought process came over my mind on my goat hunt last year that I was feeling that pain and that misery – and I didn't want it to go away because I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to remember every bit of like that. that. I yeah. wanted to remember every single part of that hunt and what I experienced. Yeah. And, and it might be the same thing for somebody coming to Colorado. Oh, I love it. Do an elk hunt because that was a part of it. Well, you know, and that, that brings up a really good point. Um, what do I do? I carry my cell phone in my pocket and every time I get to the bottom, 
I do a little video. Every time I get to the top, I do a video. Halfway up the hill sometimes, I do a video. Like I watched one of the videos from my elk hunt and it was halfway up the hill on my last load and I could tell that I was sucking. My face was red, I was breathing heavy, but I have that video record of that, you know? So um, one thing to think about, do video diaries. But when you're in those moments, if you need to take a break, take one, do a little video diary, then you have that memory. Because you'll forget most of these hunts. Like most of this, yeah. you'll, you'll remember the general story, you'll remember specific moments, but most of those little things, you'll actually forget them. Um, but putting it on video right there, right then and there, all of us carry video cameras in our pockets now, preserves the memory of that hunt. Yeah. So. Well, what else, any other last minute tips um, for packing out, grueling pack outs? Yeah, I, you know, we, we've said it, be mentally ready, be physically ready, um, be equipment ready. We haven't yeah. talked about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, this year, I've, I've had an Exo Mountain Gear frame but I just got a pack for it. And I can tell you that those packs felt this elk hunt, they felt 25% lighter than like, I would have guessed my packs were 80 pounds each, not 115. It just, the, the loads there, you can't change the weight, but the felt weight and the comfort, huge difference. Yeah. Where that okay, so, weight is sitting um, for sure. Good boots. I mean, I, I bought a set of Kenetrex this year, bucked up 500 bucks. <laughs> But you know what? Best thing I've ever done for my sh- my feet. I've never had blisters or anything, but those boots are awesome. Wow. Um, good socks. Some people have to wear sock liners so they don't get blisters. Yep. Um, I always wear spandex under my hunting pants because it prevents chafing. And when you're hot and you're sweating and your legs are rubbing together for six straight hours on a haul out, you can get some pretty bad rash. <laughs> On that moose hunt, I had bad rash. I could barely walk after the last load because yeah. I forgot my spandex. Oh. Oops. <laughs> but, you know, you look at the inside of hunting pants, most of them are a mesh material, and they rub right. re- really bad. Um, trekking poles, that is a recent – like, we used to do it in Alaska when we trained, but we'd never take them on hunts. Yeah. Like, why didn't I take them on hunts? Yeah. So just the last couple of years, we started taking them on hunts. And that haul out, you get those trekking poles, and it only takes five or ten pounds off your legs. But when you're hiking, 2,200 feet of gain over the course of three miles with four loads of elk, ten pounds of steps a lot. It's those little things that help you go further. Yeah. Good pack. It is. Good footwear. Um, good water. We talked about wilderness athlete. Your body uses water to metabolize. You have to stay hydrated. And if you get dehydrated, your body is not going to metabolize the nutrition you put in your body as easily. So you really have to stay dehydrated. I'll drink, I'll drink a gallon to a gallon and a half of water on a mountain hunt a day. And 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 it's a lot of people. For a lot of people, they just don't drink water enough. You got to actually stop and think, Kevin, take a drink of water every half hour. Take a drink of water, right? Um, Yeah, especially when it's cold. As we hit the second, yeah. third, fourth season, it's hard to hard for some people like myself to yeah. to drink enough. It is, and and you know even that cold air, you know when you're breathing that cold air, your body's using water to warm it up. It condenses. You're breathing water vapor out. You're actually using as much or more water in the cold as you are um, in the heat. 
Yeah, just in different ways. So I'd say be equipment ready. Yeah, for Put sure. Put a water bladder, bladder in your pack. A lot of new pack, all the new packs have water bladders, but the old ones don't. Um, so, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, there that's uh, uh, <clears throat> pretty comprehensive, I'd say. <laughs> but still, <laughs> we'll see. Lots I don't of, know. Lots of things. We didn't go into any training practices physically. We just talked in general. Yeah, that's you know, a whole nother but conversation. But it's, it's a whole podcast and the wilderness athletes put out some really good stuff on their podcast about that yeah. but yeah, um, sure. you know be hunt ready yeah right like we were on our archery hunt i get this email from parks and wildlife because my wife is on my e- my email is my wife's um and it says we have a goat tag available would aaron like it <laughs> and i'm like call my wife let's do it but it's in the maroon bells and there are what no less than eight 14ers in the maroon bells, and the goats love to hang out at the top of the mountains. Um, but we could do it because we were physically ready. My wife's in pretty good shape. She's mentally tough. I was in really good shape. Um, and we got it done. She got a seven-inch billy on the ground. And we only had two weeks to prepare. Right? The first season had actually started when she got her tag, and we were second rifle. You know, So like two weeks. Yeah. That was mine two days. Yeah. <laughs> For mine, the same right. kind of you thing. Ju- just- and being hunt ready, and we had to hike. We summited 12,500 feet every single day of that hunt. I think that's a there's a lesson there for if you are a Colorado resident or someone that's next in line for one of those hunts. Yeah, it was a reissue tag. They go down that line, and I think there's so many more people that say no yeah. than we realize. Because yeah. they say no because they're, one, probably can't get it off of work. Which is we did weekends, yeah. But yeah. I so what I do, we come out of the woods on a what did we come out on a Wednesday? Yeah. Saturday, I was down in the Maroon Bells. I hiked twenty four miles on Saturday. Summited three mountain passes, looking for goats. Sunday, toned it down a little bit. <laughs> Seven miles. That was a little sore. That was the that was a rough day. It was a split second decision. I questioned my sanity. I was at the top of this pass, and I'm like, well, I can hit this drainage and the top of this drainage and head out this drainage all today. Or I could just hike back where I was, where I saw only three goats. So I just, it was like a last second decision and another story for another day. But you know, and then the next weekend we were hunting, right? We did on the hunt Sunday, let's see, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then the next Saturday is when she shot her goat. So four days, 40 miles, we summited 13,000 twice. We ended at 13.5 once in a, a, it wasn't even on a mountain. It was just a pass called Electric Pass, looking for goats. Because they were nowhere to be found where we started. But because we were hunt ready, we could get the tag. We could make it happen. And we could just walk and walk and walk until we found the goats. And we ended up finding goats in a good spot and we ended up getting one awesome yeah worked out it was <laughs> it took you a tumble we, it took a tumble oh my gosh <laughs> you got it it, it was crazy because it's the only goat we found below 12 7 it was at 11 7 in the trees and it's bedded down and we're at 290 290 yards i'm like man this is this is perfect wife's prone puts a bullet in its chest and it just drops like it was bedded down and the head just plunk right on the dirt. I'm like, oh, it's just going to sit there because it's 
legs were out downhill. It's just propped itself up. We waited two or three minutes because they tend to get up. They're pretty tough animals. Um, all right, let's go. So we start to pack up, and I took one more look with my binos, and I saw the front leg contract, and it started to roll. Oh, and it was about 50 yards to the edge of the trees. I'm like, it had to hit trees. No, it found the only 10-foot gap in the trees and hit a dirt chute. And I saw the dust cloud. I could see the dust cloud from 400 yards away. Oh, man. And 600 feet later, <laughs> it came to a rest That's in this rock chute. There's another lesson for another day. Try not to cut your animals up in a rock chute you could barely stand up in because <laughs> that's what I ended up doing. Um, but that, you know, that haul out wasn't too bad. It was only a mile and a half from the car. You know, and I took two loads to get it out of the nasties. And then I took a lot of the weight. My wife took some of it and we just one load out. Boom. Yeah. There we go. That's awesome. You know, so it was a fun hunt. And she got a goat. Yeah. And my wife got a goat out of the deal. Um, true trophy. So we've, it's been a pretty good year for us. Yeah. No <laughs> we've been blessed. No kidding. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's wrap her up. You bet. I appreciate your time and, uh, we'll plan our next hunt. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.